Good evening, good evening, saints and friends. Blessings, blessings, blessings to you. Welcome to another Bible study live. Amen. Remember to like, share, comment. Let somebody know that you're tuning in at this very moment. All right, let's go ahead and let's bow our heads and let's give uh, God some praise as we pray. And let's move right into the word of God. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we first of all, we thank you, praise you, honor you, lift you up, extol you, magnify you as the great majestic God that you are, the God that sits high and looks low. God, we're praying that you would illuminate our Bible study. God, you pray, praying that you would think through my mind and speak through my mouth, God, that you would light upon the uh, spirits and the ears of the listeners, God, and pray uh, that revelation knowledge will flow freely, unhindered, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, once again, much love to you and welcome to you all, those of you online as well as those in the building. So uh, what we're going to do is cover a Sunday sermon, which was uh, this title. It was Jesus, I'll Never Forget. And this was the working definition that we were we used, and that was forget, fail to remember, put out of one's mind, cease to think of or consider, inadvertently neglect to do, bring or mention something. So Jesus, I'll never fail to remember you. Jesus, I'll never put you out of my mind. Jesus, I'll never cease to think of or consider you. Jesus, I'll never inadvertently neglect to do something as it relates to you, to bring something to you, or mention something about you. And so we uh, were working with these three books of the Bible, Isaiah, Romans, and Psalms. Um, six verses from Isaiah, one verse from Romans, and then three verses from the book of Psalms. And so as we uh, as we move forward, so just to give you a little uh, background, I was sensing and uh, what I would call an old school type of uh, mentality in the sense of uh, congregational songs came to my mind. And there was a uh, video we played that had a lot of what we call congregational songs. And those were back in the day where you would just have songs that it wasn't so much about the stage presence of the singers or praise team. It was just someone would get up and start a song and everyone would join in because you knew the words of it. And there was a lot of hand clapping, a lot of foot stomping, but it usually invited an atmosphere of praise. And in that, one of the songs that uh, sometimes would be sung was the song, Jesus, I'll Never Forget. And so we waited all the way to the end of the sermon to really uh, reference the song. But that was in my mindset as uh, I was preparing the sermon. And so what we're going to do as we work through it is we're going to deviate from the idea of forgetting and pick it up later as we move toward uh, that song. So let's first of all, let's start with this uh, and this is from the Working Preacher's Commentary. 
And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read it, then I'll give uh, just a little bit more than I gave on Sunday about it that I think is quite interesting. So let's put this up. Apparently, the anonymous prophet reworked the scroll of Isaiah. So the anonymous prophet. So here we're going to look at the idea of Isaiah and second Isaiah. So uh, it took some years before I recognized that the book of Isaiah that we have, as it is presently compiled, uh, scholars believe there's no way the prophet Isaiah could have written it all. So they realized at some point there was passages added in. Basically, uh, by the way some things were talked about by the cadence of some things, uh, they understood that they were more uh, than one writer. So Isaiah prophesied a time to come, but he died sometime within the time frame of him uh, speaking. And so many of the people that he mentored, they picked up the torch and they decided to write and add to his writings, but they wanted to remain anonymous because they still wanted to be seen as the work of Isaiah. So some scholars believe that as many as four different writers of Isaiah, so the original prophet Isaiah uh, writing the bulk of it, and then three other uh, uh, writers, and many of them believe that they were somehow linked to the prophet. So, so they don't think it's any type of plagiarism or tampering, but they actually believed these were um, people who understood the heart of Isaiah and they were actually trying to add to the work. Uh, s several different ideas about it. I really don't, it's not important to go into it, but just to know that this is what we're, we're calling Second Isaiah, what uh, the working um, preacher's commentary calls Second Isaiah because they think it's the first person to write after the initial Isaiah. And so... Going back to what we were uh, reading, apparently the anonymous prophet reworked the scroll of Isaiah, adding passages of good news for the exile in Babylon in order to fan the embers of faith into flame. That metaphor is too weak. For most of the exiles, the fire faith had gone completely out. So the idea was uh, the original Isaiah, as prophetic as he was, he prophesied, number one, he prophesied much of uh, messianic pro promises, much of the promises of the Messiah. But he also prom uh, prophesied some of the doom of the many nations around that were against um, the Israelites. And he also pro uh, prophesied the doom of those who would not follow God, and the reason why they were exiled is because of their attitude. So with that being said, this other writer decided to institute some good news for the here and now for those who would and who were trying to follow God closely. So in other words, there was a lot of rebuke for those that wouldn't, a lot of pointing toward the Messiah, and a lot of rebuke for the uh, surrounding nations that weren't going to do that which is good. But it left out the people who really were looking for God and searching for God, not just the Messiah, but for the here and now. 
And so this writer felt like they needed some good news to keep them stirred up so that they wouldn't lose faith in the midst of all of the others uh, that were being pointed out by the first Isaiah. So what this writer knew is that these people were going to be hanging on the prophet's words, but as they read it, there wasn't going to be much directed at them because they were the ones that were actually holding on. I'll, I'll say this, that sometimes it's hard when you're trying to preach prophetically because you're also preaching to the choir. So you end up beating up the people who are actually doing well. So when there is a word of rebuke, then the people who are actually coming and attending, they end up getting the word of rebuke. And sometimes it's not really for them. It's for others. Sometimes it's for the whole congregation. But really those who are holding on, sometimes they have to get whooped with everybody else. So there is a reason to actually speak to those people and stir them up, encourage them. And so part of my ministry is a ministry of encouragement. It is, I understand there are those who aren't doing right. I understand that I need to speak to principalities and powers. I understand that I need to speak to education systems, financial systems, and all those things. And sometimes there's a sharp word of rebuke. But if you stay in that mode, you leave out those who actually believe and those who are actually pursuing God and doing what is right. And so the gospel is known as good news. So there ought to be some good news amongst the rebuke and good news amongst the prophecies and good news amongst the gloom and doom. Good news because that keeps people stirred up. Those who are actually doing right, you need to leave them with something. You need to inspire them, infuse them with hope. So this writer knew that and instituted some writings in Isaiah for that sole specific purpose. All right, so let's move forward. The prophet's task was to preach a word so clear to sound a certain note on trumpet of new life so that faith could be reborn in the hearts of a people whose faith had died to preach a word that could raise the dead. And then this, uh, it's a, a rhetorical question, sound like a familiar task. In other words, that in the midst of all that we are speaking to, we cannot leave out those who have faith because we don't want their faith to die in the midst of speaking what needs to be spoken. Now, remember, when you're dealing with the fact that Israel was exiled in Babylon, almost slaves in a foreign land. It was because of what was done, because of their lack of obedience, their disobedience, because of their lack of faith, many things. But they were going to be exiled there for 70 years. But the problem is there's going to be people that was going to be born in that time that did not make the mistakes that the ancestors did. So there's no need in beating them up too. Sometimes you got to stir them up. So I don't believe that God brought the pandemic. I don't believe that at all, but I do believe he allowed the pandemic to shake up the church, to shake us up out of our sleep and out of our stupor. 
And now that we've come through that and we're pointing in a direction, it's not my goal to just keep beating us up and see that's why God had to allow the pandemic. And that's why God had to allow this. And that's why God had to allow that. Because what it'll do for those who've already heard that message and who've already adjusted and those who uh, God was never trying to uh, challenge those people anyway, because they were already on fire for God. Then if I stay in that mode, it's depressing. So I try to preach into what will stir us up. So instead of focusing on, well, y'all thought Trump was the uh, answer and then y'all thought Biden was the answer. And here y'all got inflation and here y'all got high gas prices and here y'all got this. Instead of focusing on all the things that are going wrong, I choose to focus on the good news because it is the good news that stirs up the right people. Um, I, I talk about this all the time, that when they're dealing with counterfeit money, they don't show them counterfeit money. They just keep showing them the real. And the more they see the real, the easier it is to point out the counterfeit. The more I build up your faith with the good news, the more it is easier for you to see the bad news and shy away from it. So at Deliverance Temple, I am always in the path of trying to encourage, infuse hope, and stir up your faith. Um, Paul said it of Timothy, fan in the embers of faith or stir up the gift. That is always my goal. So what I do is I preach to the ones that are already on fire for God. I don't spend my time talking to the ones that are not because if I stir up the ones who are on fire, then maybe they'll catch the ones who are not on fire on fire. So you're not going to come and get beat up all the time because that to me, that that does a disservice. And I've sat in ministries where every single sermon is about beating you up and, you know, you could do better. And after a while, it's like, Jesus, did I do anything right? I mean, I, I, I'm, I am coming to church. I am here. So why don't you feed the ones who are here? And so that's what I do. And that's what this uh, Isaiah was doing as well. This what we call second Isaiah, this anonymous writer of four. So let's start. I gave, I gave you enough of that more than I, what I did on Sunday, but I thought it, it, it was a good reason uh, to share it. So Isaiah 12 and one. And, and let me go back for a second. We, we, we did talk about that actually uh, even last week uh, that it's my goal to do that. And uh, even further, I, I had mentioned a pattern of like information, but I use information and I couple it with inspiration. And in, the, in, in information and inspiration, what I'm trying to do is give you an impartation. And that impartation is designed to bring revelation and from all of that, when you leave here, you ought to get some type of confirmation. And then once you have the confirmation, you should come back. And that is your participation. So when we bring all that together, that's what keeps the church moving and going and keeping us uh, vibrant. And especially in the age where you're tuning in from online. If all I do is beat you up, the easiest thing you can do is click, turn him off. I'm logging off. I Listen, I can do bad all by myself. So we, we're in a situation where the world is rough. So it's not my job to just beat you up, but I'm trying to inspire you, but trying to inform you, but also trying to impart into you, trying to bring revelation 
And then it's not my job to bring confirmation. God does that. And then hopefully through all that, it brings participation or hopefully it'll grow the church if I do it that way. So that is the goal. All right, moving forward. We spent a lot of time on that. Um, Actually, I want to go back to uh, verse one. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. I have to spend just a little time talking about this. Remember, these are Old Testament writers, Old Testament writers. They are prophesying to the cross, even though they don't know everything that's going to happen. So we don't read Old Testament writings as if they understood the work of Calvary and the work of the cross. But us as being New Testament believers, which means after the cross, what New Testament does, Old Testament points to the cross, New Testament looks back at the cross. And so since we're New Testament believers, we understand the cross. So even though we read something in the Old Testament, we actually read it different than what they said. So in what they said is in that day, you will say, uh, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. So they were prophesying there's going to come a day where you're not going to focus on the anger of God because the anger of God is going to be turned away. And they're saying in that day, but that day is the day that we live in because because of the cross, God's anger was poured out on Jesus. His wrath was poured out on Jesus. So we should have a more praising mindset than they did because the anger of God has been subsided in Jesus. Now, I have to say again what I'm talking about. Another reason why I can't get up here and beat y'all up all the time because I'm preaching from a God that is not the God that we are living under. Yes, the Old Testament God showed a lot of wrath and anger because there was no once and for all sacrifice for their sins. And so I hate to say it, but there's a lot of preachers that come up and they're happy because they're preaching fire and brimstone, but they're really operating from an Old Testament God. They're not operating from a New Testament, New Covenant God. The reason why we are serving God is because he saved our soul. So our focus should not be on an angry God that's going to jump down and knock you over all the time. Our uh, job is to say thank you for a loving God who allowed Jesus to absorb all of the wrath and all of the sin for our sake. So that does mean another thing. We should be more praiseworthy and thankworthy than the Old Testament believers were. So if they praise God, we should praise them much more because we understand we're living in the day that was prophesied. There's coming a day where his anger will shift away and we will have his mercy. So that leads us to point number one. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. So we get his mercy over his judgment. Now, does God is God's judgment yet real? Yes, but his mercy triumphs over his judgment for a period of time. And we call that the age of grace. So we are in the age of grace. But the question is, is God weak on sin? No, he's not, because there is another day of wrath coming. 
there was a time before where God showed his anger, but he, he, he didn't show his full anger because he allowed them to have animal sacrifices. He allowed what they called the Day of Atonement. He, uh, they call that Yom Kippur in the, uh, in the Jewish uh, idea. But what we have was Jesus, a once-for-all sacrifice. But God, even though he had a right to be angry with them in the Old Testament, and sometimes we see it, it wasn't to its full extent. He, he, he gave them ways out. And then he gives us Jesus gives us what we call the age of grace. But if you mess around and move over and miss what we call the age where the church is gone, some call it the rapture, some call it other things. But if you miss that opportunity when you're in the age of grace, then there is a day of wrath coming that will punish and purge sin. And the scripture makes it clearly that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It was never created for humans, but if humans want to operate like the devil and they want to operate like his angels, which would be demons, then you get the wrath of God. So people would say, I don't believe in a God who would condemn people to hell. He never did condemn people to hell. That was not for humans. But if you want to mess around and skip the grace of God and skip the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, then you get what you get. If you want to operate like a Hitler and like a Putin, you deserve hell. So God's not soft on sin. He's just, the Bible says, he's not willing that any should perish. So he, he, he in the scripture also said, he's not slow concerning his promise, but he's given people time. He's given people space. And so that, before we move on, that means we have a job to stop pointing out people's sins and say, y'all going to hell, y'all going to hell. No, we ought to say, no, you don't have to go to hell. Somebody paid the price, so come on with me. Come on in under the ark of safety. Come on in. If it's raining, come on in where there's no longer rain. Now, if you're going to be like the people in Noah's day and you're going to mess around, now the scripture says Noah preached for 120 years and offered, invited people to come into the ark. They laughed at Noah, but then there came a time where the rain came and it wasn't nobody's fault but their own. So remember, he's not soft on saying it's just this in this moment. He's showing us he's turned away his anger because he poured his anger out on Jesus. All right, let's move forward. Let's look at this verse. Surely God is my salvation. He's what? He's my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense he has become my salvation. Now, remember, once again, this is an anonymous writer writing in a time where they are under exile. So they are slaves in a foreign land. This is not a necessarily easy, happy time to be living in. But look at the language that he's speaking of. Surely God is my salvation or God is my deliverance. In other words, he's pointing them to not the problem He's pointing them to the one that has the solution. Now, if they in that day without the cross can look at their trials and look toward a deliverer, what about us in our day who know about a resurrected, risen Lord? Yes, there's high inflation. Yes, people can't find baby formula. Yes, gas is up. Yes, 
there's trouble. Yes, there's a gender fluidity and people don't know what gender they are. Yes, there's a lot of things going on. Yes, there's a lot of chaos. But if they can point to a reason to be excited about deliverance, what about us? I will not let an Old Testament writer out praise me because he didn't see what I have seen. He, he could only get a glimpse of what I see. So because of what I see, I'm going to take that mantle and I'm going to preach about a God who is a deliverer, who is a way maker, promise keeper, a light in the darkness, a miracle worker. We have a reason to be excited. That's why we used to say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. I thank God for saving me, for delivering me, for rescuing me. And you may say, well, I don't have all my deliverance yet. I don't have all the rescue yet, but I I'm, what I'm saying, I'm praising God ahead of time because if they could praise him ahead of time, exiled in Babylon, surely I can praise him in a time where I can come to church without anybody dragging me off to jail because there's somebody somewhere that has to hide to have church. I don't have to hide to have church. I can have a praise break wherever I am, wherever I am, whenever I can. So I will not allow someone else to outpraise me. If I don't praise them, the rocks are going to cry out. I will not let a rock outpraise me because I know the deliverer that I have that is my God. So that leads us to this. He is our salvation. He is our rescue. He is our deliverance and he is our hope for tomorrow. So it's my job as it relates to Deliverance Temple members to keep hope alive to keep infusing you with hope but it's your job to take the hope it's not your job to be ro rolling around looking like you sucking on sour lemons life melt may have dealt you lemons but go ahead and make some lemonade somehow get you some sugar get you some ice get a pitcher take them lemons and make you some lemonade and find a reason to keep hope alive because faith is the substance of things hope for. So if you have no hope, then you're not going to have any faith. And the reason why we do what we do is because we believe we are called not just Christians. We are called believers. So that means we got to believe in something in order to believe in something. We have to keep hope alive. Or one scripture says of Abraham that he hoped against hope. So you got to hope even when there's no reason to hope. You have to hope in spite of. You have to hope in the in the presence of. You have to hope in the midst of. You got to be like the three Hebrew boys. Listen, I know you're about to put me in the fire, but I know a God that even if he don't, I know a God that can. And I'm going to praise him not just because he might. I'm going to praise him because he could, because even if he decide not to, he's still God and he's still able. And it's that hope that lights people of fire and it is that hope that we should move from and it is it is that hope that this anonymous isaiah was writing to try to stir them up but because we're reading it on the other side of the cross we're getting stirred up way more than they were so let's move on let's look at verse three 
With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So he's telling them in exile, you're going to draw water from the well of this deliverance and it's going to bring joy. Well, last time I checked, I wasn't exiled in no Babylon. I moved where I pleased. I drove when I wanted to drive, went where I wanted to go. Yes, gas is high, but I still got from point A to point B. So if they had a reason to draw joy, I got much more of a reason to draw some joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And since the world didn't give it, the world can't take it. So I'm drawing joy from the fact that I am saved. So in other words, I don't have to see the fullness of the deliverance, the fullness of the rescue. In other words, I may be saved and addicted, and I don't have to see the fullness of the deliverance of the addiction to be joyous in my salvation because the God that started the work is the God that can complete the work. He that began a good work in you, he is faithful to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He is faithful to complete it. So if God started it, he can finish it. If he saved me at the altar, he can deliver me from my addiction. If he saved me from cussing, he can save me from drinking. He can save me from anything. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have joy. Now, is there reasons to be sad? It sure is. Is there reasons to grieve? It sure is. Is there reasons to be sorrowful? It sure is. Is there reasons to be depressed? It sure is. But here's the thing. If I draw joy, I won't stay depressed. I won't stay grieving. I won't stay sorrowful. I won't stay sad. Yes, I may stop at a pit stop called sadness, but I won't stay there forever. I'm getting up and moving forward because there is joy, unspeakable joy and full of glory. Where at? Not around, right on the inside of me. So here's point number three. Our joy is deep like a well, not shallow like a stream. Listen, shallow people, they can't move through any trouble and still serve God. They got to they got to uh, depart from the church for six, seven months, six years. They they can't come back to church. I'm mad at God. I'm disappointed with God. Well, shoot. Join the bunch. We all been mad with God. We all been disappointed with God. But God has also been too good for uh, to us for us to stay in that state. So we reach deep on the inside and we pull up joy. Because even though I may be disappointed with God in this season, I can think of seasons when he has been good to me. And he has been there for me. And I'm still here and I'm still breathing. So guess what? I'm going to quit my pity party and I'm going to bring myself to the house of God. And I'm going to find a reason to have joy and praise God. And that's the beauty of doing life with a body of believers. Because sometimes when I don't have enough joy, I can depend on your joy. But that's why I can't stand a dead church. It's okay for four or five of us to be dead, but all of us dead, somebody ought to have some strength and somebody ought to have some life and somebody ought to have some joy so that it sparks us. Oh man, after I got done looking at Trish, shoot, I'm tired. I ain't gonna, I listen, she ain't gonna let me be down. I'm, I'm gonna have to get up. Either, either you beat her or you gotta join her because she got joy. 
And that's why sometimes this, the, the Bible says, out of the mouth of babes, you have adorned praise. That's why sometimes you can look in the service and the babies will show you it's time to praise. There, there, there was a time in, uh, in the old building where I had my, my son, I believe it was Draylon, and he was at the age where he wasn't walking very well, so I was holding him. And he stuck his hands up in the air and started praising God. And the folks in the saints got to looking around. It's like, shoot, if this little baby can praise, I need to praise. So we are stirred up, and that's my job is to stir us up. Now, it's not my job to pretend like we don't have issues. So every time I minister, I address the fact that, yes, we have issues, but the issues don't have us. Yes, we have trials, but the trials don't have us. Yes, we have sicknesses, but the sicknesses don't have us because what has us is joy unspeakable. And it's not, like I said, it's not shallow, it's deep. Our well runs deep. Out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And here's the thing, that wells, in order to, to have wells, they have to first be dug. Wells are dug. And sometimes the pain that you're in is actually the digging process. So that when God promotes you, what Satan does, Satan, Satan is lazy. As, as good as he is, he's also lazy. If he doesn't have to hit you with something new, he'll bring something old. So when he brings something old, the only reason what will make him bring something new is the fact that you have already dug. And so the last thing that he hits you with, when he thought it took you out, it actually dug some more depth in you. And so now you are filled up. And so don't be mad when brand new crazy things are coming because it means that you made Satan stop being lazy and have to hit you with something new. Some of y'all Christians, you never make Satan work. All he got to do is do the same thing over and over. She frowned at me and I'm mad for six weeks because she frowned at me. You're making Satan's job way too easy. Make him do more than they talked about me. And they walked out of my life. Well, listen, that's life. If if that throws you off for six months, six weeks, six years, all the time, you are making Satan's job so easy. I want Satan to wake up and scratch his head. Oh, my God. What can I do to mess with him? Because he's always having joy. He keeps laughing. His daddy just died and he just, he keeps preaching and he keeps praising and he keeps clapping his hands and stomping his feet. I, I got to wait and regroup and figure out something to get him because I, I, I don't understand him and I don't understand Deliverance Temple because they should have folded. But somehow every Sunday the power of God is going and, and somehow the, the power of God is flowing over the airwaves to the online people. And I mess with a praise team and they don't even have a praise team and they still praise it. They, they got organs and drums and keyboards that nobody plays and they still keep praising. I, I'm confused at this church. I want the devil to be so sick of us that he don't even want to mess with us. But we're too great to be left alone because we keep grabbing joy from within and pulling it up. Amen. Isaiah 12 and 4. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name 
is exalted. Yeah, so we, we can't help but proclaim. We can't help but but do do uh, church the way we do church. Now, some of y'all, when I make the announcement, well, we won't have a Bible study uh, this uh, week or we won't have online Bible study. Y'all don't be like, whoo, I'm so glad. Y'all be like, man, shoot, I want I want to come because I. I'm excited to praise the Lord. I'm, I'm excited. And that's how I know people are catching it because you can't just have Sunday morning. I need Sunday. I need Wednesday. I need a little dab on Tuesday. I need a little bump on Friday. Now, now listen, listen, crack addicts, they don't have where well, I'm just going to get high on Sunday and Wednesday. No, listen, crack addicts, look, every time they can get a bump, every time they get them some money, they're looking for that next high. I want some Christians that are looking for that next praise. Woo, got to get me some more praise. I got to get me some more Jesus. I, I, I can't help it. Puff, puff, pass. I got to pass it on to somebody because this stuff is just too good. It's just, it's too special. It's too awesome. If you knew what God has done for me, if you knew how messed up I was and still am, and God's been this good to me, I can't keep it to myself. So here's point number four. Therefore, that's why we are not ashamed of the gospel Good news is meant to be shared. So that that leads me to this one scripture in Romans I just had to grab. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. No, wait, wait, wait one second. So that means the reason why some people are more powerful than others is because they're not ashamed of the gospel. Now you have some people that... That they're loud in church, but once the church doors close, you don't even know they you don't know they're Christian. You don't know they saved. Because they hide, they whimper back. But other folk, they get on, they get on Facebook and preach. They'll 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 be they 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 preach on the phone. You ever had somebody that you had to tell them, listen, listen, I can't talk to you. You you keep stirring me up and I listen I I don't want to be stirred up right now. I'm trying to go to bed. I'm trying to go to sleep. Well, let me tell you one more thing. Well, Hang up because you're about to get me fired up. I like people who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is what power. And when you find people and believers who have no power, oftentimes is because they're not they're ashamed of the gospel. And the reason why many people are ashamed of the gospel is because they really don't know the gospel. They've really never heard the gospel because the, the gospel is good news. They've been sitting in the church and all they've heard is bad news, bad news this, bad news that, the bad news bears, the bad news browns. But when you come to a church where you hear the good news, you can't help but be excited about that. And what that does, it produces power, dunamis power, which is dynamite power. It blows stuff up. There's some stuff that the devil has been planning to do, but because you keep sharing the gospel, it literally blows his plans up. There are family members in your life that should have not been saved, but because you keep sharing the good news, it blows up the plans of the enemy, and they're like, listen, may, I may not come to your church, but I'm going to somebody's church because you're getting on my nerves with all this Jesus joy you got. 
Listen, I got to pray because you about to drive me nuts with all your happiness and, and all your, your guess what? I, I, I'm, I got to see what this Jesus is that you keep hooting and hollering about. All right, let's move on. Isaiah uh, 12, 5. So sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Once again, I'm going to slow down and dial it back and remind us once again, this was a man or a woman, because it's anonymous, writing to a people who were exiled, who were in a horrible situation and telling them to shout and sing and praise. It was beautiful what he was telling them. But guess what? We have much more of a reason to shout and praise and holler and be loud. Quiet church, I'm not against it. It just ain't really my thing. So I like to get excited because I feel this thing passionate and deep. One thing you're not going to uh, wonder about me, is he passionate about what he talk about? You, you're not going to have to guess when it comes to me because you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it from me. Because I, I'm going to give God praise because of what he's done. So if they can be encouraged to praise, what I'm basically saying, we should that much more be encouraged to sing the songs of Zion, the songs of deliverance, even a deliverance you haven't quite seen yet. In other words, you can get excited and sing songs about prosperity when you haven't yet prospered. Because what you know is you know I'm moving toward it. And even if I don't get it till I die, I'm moving towards something. Guess what? Sometimes you got to pinch yourself. And remember, at the end of all this, I get heaven. I, I get heaven. So even if I don't get everything on this side, it's okay. I got a buffet on that side. And like I always tell you on Bible study, not only do we get a new heaven, we get a new earth too. So if I didn't get to experience some stuff on earth, it's going to be a brand new earth that I'm going to get to explore. So I'm not going to worry about, well, this person has a mansion and all I got is a two-room shack. It's okay. Because even if I die with a two-room shack, I still get heaven. So guess what? I'm going to be happy in this two-room shack. Devil, you're not going to make me sad about my two-room shack. Well, I'll never drive a Rolls Royce. It's okay. You're not going to make me mad about riding the bus. Because I'm still going to get from point A to point B and maybe I'll die riding the bus. But after that, I'm going to get heaven where the streets are gold. So you're not going to shame me, devil, because there's no way I lose in this life unless I quit. So we continue to praise God. And that's why you can see people like a Mother Teresa who had access to a lot, but was happy and content living the life that she was living and was changing lives. So it's not about material things. Sometimes we talk about material blessings because we need that, but sometimes the church gets stuck on material things. I'm not promising you a million dollars because I don't know who all is going to be a millionaire and who's not. Now, the truth of the matter, everybody who's an American, y'all all are thousandaires. Even those who are living the poverty line, you're still a thousand there. You're still well more prosperous than most uh, half of all of the world. So stop uh, uh, having the poochy lip disease. What's the poochy lip disease, Pastor? <laughs> I can't go eat at Ruth Chris. 
Can you get a hamburger where you're doing better than most of the world? Put that lip back in your mouth. Praise God. Eat your hamburger and come on and do the will of God. Stop crying. Stop pouting. God ain't your Santa Claus. He ain't got to do whatever you want, when you want, how you want. This ain't Burger King. Have it your way. No, you ought to be glad that you're saved, that God died for you, and that he, he uh, purged your sins. Because the truth of the matter is you should be sitting somewhere in hell in the devil, in a devil's grave. Quit acting a fool and come on and let's praise the Lord. Well, pastor, you can say that because you got a Cadillac. Well, guess what? I ain't always had a Cadillac. Don't don't play with me because I'll get and tell you my testimony. Don't mess with me. I know how to praise God with nothing. I know how to praise God walking on my hush puppies. What are my hush puppies? My feet. I know how to praise God while I was walking. There was a time that I did not have a car and was laid off from General Motors, and I had I was sent by a temp agency to a place that was away from where I was and I didn't have a ride and the bus didn't come that early in the morning. So guess what I did? I grabbed my two feet and walked to the job. But guess what? While I was walking to the job, I was praising the Lord. And the reason why I didn't have to stay on that job and didn't have to stay without a car because I praised him right where I was on the way to where I'm going. So don't 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 be laughing and be mad at my Cadillac because I know how to praise him with my two feet. And you got people that got Cadillacs and Rolls Royce and Lamborghinis and they don't know how to praise God. I'd rather be in a bus praising God than in a Lamborghini not praising God. All right. Let me get let me get off. That was a rabbit trail. Sorry. Let me get off of that. All right. Let's let's put this up. Our songs of praise are an indicator of deep gratitude from within our soul. All right, here's a quick teaching moment. Soul in Hebrew is the word nefesh. Let's explain to you what that that is. Once again, from the working preacher's commentary. In the Bible, nefesh is translated into English as living being, life, creature, mind, desires, heart, appetite, persons, what does that tell us? We get the sense that nefesh is the inner living being of a man and it speaks to it speaks of the very essence of a person. Let me say it this way. It speaks to the core of a person. So basically what I'm saying to you is if you get praise down in your core, what happens on the outside won't really phase you. It won't it won't stop your praise because I'm not praising from external things. I'm praising from internal things. So I'm praising because praise got down in my soul. And so from my soul, I cry out to God. That's why what I quoted that we used to quote all the time in testimony service, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out. Because I can think of the goodness of Jesus and also think of the pain of the devil and be confused and not know what to do. But see, when it's in my soul, I disregard what the devil is doing and I only focus on what God is doing. And the reason why I'm able to praise because I'm not praising from my head, I'm praising from my soul. And that's why when we talked about last week about Lord, help me bring forth. And we were saying that what you are producing is more important than the pain that it takes to produce. So you have to focus on the productivity and not on the pain. And the only way you can do that is do it from your soul. 
And so that's why our soul is vitally important. And so that's why God doesn't save our mind and uh, our head and he doesn't save our flesh. He saves our soul to affect our spirit because he knows that if he gets our soul, the mind and the body got to come. All right. So let's look at Psalms. So now, now we're switching from Isaiah. We're actually switching to Psalms. Actually, let me go back real quick. So what is interesting is that Isaiah 12 is actually known as a psalm. It is written as a psalm. Psalm just really means song. So not all the songs of the Bible actually fall in the book of Psalms. You'll find them in other places. Uh, even in Exodus 15, is a psalm of Miriam. And so psalms are not just in psalms. So Isaiah 12 was a psalm. And the reason why I'm pointing this out to you is that once you become adept at studying the psalms, you'll be able to pick out the psalms that are outside of the book of psalms. So Isaiah 12, it reads like a psalm. And it was done strategically because it was meant to be a song of praise. All right, so now let's actually go to the book of Psalms. So uh, that's like, it's easy to do that. So l- let me uh, make it uh, even clearer. Psalms is the hymn book where all the Psalms are. All the songs are in there. So Psalms is a hymn book. It's easy to go there and find Psalms. But there are other hymns throughout other things. So let's say when you're in a library and you're reading certain books, sometimes people are putting psalms in those uh, books. There are songs in those books. But the easiest things, if you wanted just a whole bunch of songs, just to go to the hymn book. So psalms, the book of psalms, is the hymn book. That's one easy place to go and find these things. So let's go to the book of psalms. And that's why I preach from psalms often because it is a place where many of those songs are. All right, enough of that. Psalms 103.1, bless the Lord, O my soul of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. In other words, he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within my nefesh, all that is in my inner being, I'm commanding my inner being to bless the Lord. So when we bless the Lord, it is an act of our will. When we praise the Lord, when we worship the Lord, it is an act of our will. So it's not based on how we feel. It's based on how we will. It's based on how we will. So that's why faith is the substance of things not seen. It's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So it's not about what we see. It's not about what we feel. It's about what we believe. And if you believe a certain way, your soul will respond to what you believe. That's why I can tell what people believe by the way that they praise. Everybody does not have to praise loud. That's not true that everybody has to praise loud. Some people can praise quiet, but you can still tell. Some people, they praise quiet, but there's a focus in their praise. They may just sit there like this. Or maybe they're like this. or Maybe they're on their knees. They're not like this. Twiddly dee, twiddly dumb. And I'm talking about people in church and praise is going forth. Oh. Boy, I, went, went, I wonder when they're going to get done. Let me see. I got, 
I got somebody text. Let me look at my Facebook. That ain't, those are not praisers. Not, not, I, let, I allow them to come to church. I want them to come to church, but they're not really praisers. Because when, when the presence of God comes, you ain't got time for all that. And when people get mad and they mad at somebody sat in my seat, pastor, and she thinks she better than me, you, you, you're not a real praiser. Because when you're a real praiser, you ain't got time to be looking at everybody else. And, and I think so-and-so, I think they smell like wine. They, they 17 seats away from you. You, you. you mean you that focused that you can smell wine on them that far away? How about you focus on the presence of God? And a bunch of junk would not happen in church when people would focus on the per person we were supposed to come for. I didn't come to church for you. And even if you do think you're better than me, it don't bother me because I didn't come to church for you. I ain't thinking about you. I'm thinking about him and what he's done. And here's the thing. I'm shocked when I find out you don't like me. I assume everybody liked me because I'm focusing on God. And since God loved me, I just assume everybody else loved me. And it's too late for me to be mad at you now. So I just go on and love you anyhow because I ain't thinking about you. Because last time I checked, you didn't put breath in my body. You didn't put food on my table. You didn't put a roof over my head and clothes on my back. So I love you, but you can't control what goes on here. I'm about to praise God. And at the end of the day, I didn't get up and get dressed and wash my face and brush my teeth to come here and see you. And I didn't get up out of my bed and tune in online to worry about somebody else because my focus is on God. So that leads me to verse number two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I took a lot of time and talked about benefits on Sunday morning. I won't, uh, I won't spend a lot of time talking about that today. You have to just pick up the rebroadcast. So let's move to this. Praise is a tool we use to keep us from forgetting what God has done. All right, as, as we close, I told you I was going to come back to the point about forgetting. And that the whole song, we put it on the shelf, but we're coming back to it real quick. We humans have a complicated relationship with memory. We're the only species that has conceived of it, history and has made any attempt to catalog that history for the sake of remembering. The whale does not care about yesterday. The jackal is not plagued by regret. The mollusk does not write books for posterity's sake. Part of what it means to be human is to remember. Put another way, Forgetting is actually inhuman. This is what makes a disease like Alzheimer's so insidious. So because we are human, we have a tendency to forget. But because we are human, we have the ability to remember. All it does, it takes focus. And so what they're saying is we're not like the animals where we we remember things we ha actually have to write things down catalog things down we have to make mental notes so that we don't forget so when we say jesus i'll never forget we're not saying that it's just going to happen easily we have to have we have to do work so that we don't forget and a disease like uh, alzheimer's it robs people of their ability to remember and that's a very important thing our ability to remember all right let's look at 
this. And it's, it's speaking of Alzheimer's, it attacks the very core of us, the nefesh, the innermost place where we build our identity according to where we have been, what we have done, and who we have met, I will add, and what we have saw or what we have seen. Alzheimer's dehumanizes us by eroding our memories. So here's the point that I use. We don't want to be diagnosed with spiritual dementia because his benefits far outweigh our troubles. So this goes back to mainly what I preached last week. And here is the point. We purposely put our mind on what God has done and not on the pain and not on the trouble and not on the issues. Because as long as we focus on the issues, we will forget what he's done. But if we focus on what he's done and what he's doing, we will remember. And this is what the writer in Lamentation said. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But the only reason why he got to great is thy faithfulness, which is what we shout over, is first he had to say this I recall call to my mind. In other words, I have to have a recall that erases the trouble. It's not that we totally neglect the trouble. It's just we're not going to give it all of our attention because if we give it our attention, it'll bring us dementia, spiritual dementia. All right. And, and let, let me say this. It's a play on words. We got too many dimensions to go to to get stuck in the spiritual dementia. So the dementia will keep me from the dimensions I need to go to. So I can't focus on that. I have to remember. All right. So here we go. A few more verses. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. What is this? These are the benefits. Verse five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I put it in a simple form for you so you can remember it easily. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, love and mercy, satisfaction and renewal are just a few of the benefits. If I focus on the benefits, I will always remember what God is doing because these are just a few of the benefits. There's even more than that. So let's put it all together and bring it all the way back around here. Let's finalize and close it with this. Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. And Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. And Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. And how are we going to do that? By focusing on what God has done. And what God has doing, let us always be a church that looks for the hope of things and not for the trouble of things. Let's always look for the life of things and not the death of things. And if we do that, we won't forget. And guess what else? We won't regret. All right. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We honor you. We appreciate you. We 
magnify you for who you are and what you mean in our lives. You are the great God. And because of that, we will give you praise. And God, before I ask, actually, I'm not even going to ask you for anything. I'm just going to thank you for you being you. You are majestic. You are awesome. You are magnificent. You are marvelous. I don't have enough words and nor do I have enough tongues to express how great and awesome you are. Are. And so I just want to say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. And we say that in Jesus name, we pray. And in Jesus name, we are grateful. And in Jesus name, we will never forget a man and a man. God bless you all. We appreciate you. You are dismissed. Thanks for watching. See you next week, either in person or online.